silence, he spoke up and cursed his fate. Obliterate the day I was born. Blank out the night I was conceived. Let it be a black hole in space. May God above forget it ever happened. Erase it from the books. May the day of my birth be buried in deep darkness, shrouded by the fog, swallowed by the night, and the night of my conception, the devil take it. Rip the date off the calendar, delete it from the almanac. Oh, turn that night into pure nothingness. No sounds of pleasure from that night ever. May those who are good at cursing curse that day. Unleash a sea beast, Leviathan, on it. May its morning stars turn to black cinders, waiting for a daylight that never comes, never once seeing the first light of dawn. And why? Because it released me from my mother's womb into a life with so much trouble. Why didn't I die at birth, my first breath out of the womb my last? Why were there arms to rock me and breasts for me to drink from? I could be resting in peace right now, asleep forever, feeling no pain, in the company of kings and statesmen in their royal ruins, or with princes resplendent in their gold and silver tombs. Why wasn't I stillborn and buried with all the babies who never saw light, where the wicked no longer trouble anyone and bone-weary people get a long-deserved rest? Prisoners sleep undisturbed, never again to wake to the bark of the guards. The small and the great are equals in that place, and slaves are free from their masters. Why does God bother giving light to the miserable? Why bother keeping bitter people alive? Those who want, in the worst way, to die and can't, who can't imagine anything better than death, who count the day of their death and burial the happiest day of their life. What's the point of life when it doesn't make sense, when God blocks all the roads to meaning? Instead of bread, I get groans for my supper, then leave the table and vomit my anguish. The worst of my fears has come true. What I had dreaded, has, what I had dreaded most has happened. My repose is shattered, my peace destroyed. No rest for me ever. Death has invaded life. The word of the Lord. Lord. Kids are invited to Kids Church with Kelly, unless they want to stay around for more of that. message Chris read for us had that phrase, what is the point of life when you can't find meaning? Um, we did Ecclesiastes last summer, many as you know, and, and this summer we're, we're going through the book of Job. This is our fourth Sunday, third for me. David preached uh, last Sunday and did more of an overview to the book. Um, but this week is a hard text. Um, uh, it brings up different things. Now, the psalm we read was Psalm 88, which is the psalm, out of all the psalms that most, minus those opening lines, that, that Lord, you are my God of help, 
mainly just exists in despair. It ends with that famous line that darkness is my only friend. Job's lament, or Jeremiah, which Brian read for us, is a similar lament to Job's, although much more addressed to God, uh, much more addressed to what God has done in the world. Job's is odd because it's, it comes out of this place of, of, and then Job opened his mouth, mouth and cursed. Now what's been going on in the book of Job up until this point has been um, interesting. It, it, it started, as we talked about, in, in the land of of Uz, there was this man who had an ideal life, family that loved one another, many material goods, life that was great. And for the first seven chapters, like we've said, if, if, you, if this were a movie, this would be the first 10 minutes in which you know something bad is going to happen to this individual. What happens is, is then we move to this um, earth, heaven, earth, heaven, earth, heaven sort of court scene theme in which God sort of says, to this one, this adversary, the, the Hasatan, which means the accuser, often translated as Satan in our Bibles, but that might be a bit too much. Um, have you considered my servant Job? Um, and Satan, the Hasatan, raises this question that I think is one of the biggest questions in the book of Job. Um, does Job fear God for nothing? Is the point of faith that we have faith and God rewards us with good things. Life gets easy. Our families love one another. Um, we live in that way. Or is the worship of God for the point of the worship of God? That we don't have the protection. It's not a, it's not a quid pro quo. There isn't a deal here that says we worship, we get good things. We fear God, we get good things. It instead is um, independent of that. Just sort of the question that he raises at that moment. And he says that if you take away this hedge you've placed around Job, if you take away this perfection, he will curse God. Uh, he will curse you. God does that for his family and for his material goods, and all of that is taken from him in four quick movements. Four different messengers come. I'm the only one who escaped. Your sheep are dead. I'm the only one who escaped. Your servants are dead. I'm the only one who escaped. Your ox and lamb are dead. They all come concurrently. And Job then um, laments, but, but accepts that, you know, we accept the good and the bad from God. This brings us to a second scene in that heavenly sort of courtroom. And one of the things that I want to say is, is I talked about that as the inciting incident, um, which, is, which is how a, a book, um, how the plot moves forward. Um, a, a bit of what goes on there is, is to say if Job's meeting, in the ancient Near East, this is a great example of how things would go. If we wanted to transport it to today, you'd say like a CEO is sitting down, and this is the way of imagining the drama. It's not saying this is the way it is. I, I want to try and free us from that that this is really what the heavens are like. It's a way of expressing um, um, how we're getting to where we are. So it, in our culture, it might be like the CEO sits down with his board and he says, things are going well. Have you considered my employee, Mike? Mike is doing a great job. And, and one of the board members who um, has uh, internal messages is like, Mike seems to be doing a great job, but it's only because we pay him so well. What if we messed with his life a little bit and found out if Mike really likes this job? Um, some of you feel like you've had bosses like that. Um, uh, and so that's sort of the way in which this is set up. And so that happens again, but this time um, the Hasatan brings to mind that, that sure, he's lost other things, but you have not allowed me to strike the man himself. 
He's given permission then to cause boils and skin sores to appear on Job. Um, and Job, as we left him last, is sitting in a pile of, of ash heap with these sores. His friends um, look at him in his, his mourning disfigurement and do not recognize him. And they sit with him silently for seven days and seven nights. Now, what I think is um, powerful grieving ritual to sit with somebody in silence for seven days and seven nights. And I've often thought that, and David expressed it, I think, last week, that Job's friends are good friends at this moment, to sit in silence with someone for seven days and seven nights. And I was talking to Shelley before church, and in my ordering of the book of Job, this is the moment at which his friends speak. Seven days is enough. It's our turn, Job. Um, but Job speaks first. And I think that that was lost on me. I always thought that, you know, they did their seven days. Maybe that was a ritual mourning period, this, that, and the other. And then they were like, okay, let's cheer our buddy up. It's not exactly the advice they give. Um, they're like, you must have done something to deserve this, Job. Um, but um, I thought that they were the ones who interrupted the silence. But it is Job who opens his mouth. And like I said, the goal is um, the Hasatan, the accuser, said that he will curse you. What happens at the beginning of chapter 3, it's, it says that Job will curse, and instead of God, Job curses the day of his birth. And we get this lament that, that Chris read for us, um, this challenging sort of um, destructive, angsty, um, primal scream, I think is the way one person called it, I was reading about this week, yelling into the void of, of suffering and misery that Job is in. Um, and it, for me, sitting with it all week, was a hard word. Um, one of the things I hope we take from words like Jeremiah's and the Psalms that express this type of thing is that these are language that appears in our biblical corpus. These are words in which have been expressed. The worst words that we can imagine for certain things are expressed within our Bible. Um, even uh, with the psalm, uh, let the, the infant's heads of the, my enemies be smashed. Even the type of rage we feel is expressed within the canon. And I think that is an important truth for us to know that where we feel and find ourselves can always be expressed in language that in some sense appeared to us already within the book that is our sacred text. Um, and I think there's good news in that. There's good news in that no matter what you feel, I mean, I am not as eloquent as Job. <laughs> this, 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 it's weird to find such a beautiful poem to darkness. Um, but he expresses things that we feel in our angst and in our depression, in our suffering, in, um, and Chris and I were joking before church, in things far less worse than Job has suffered. He's lost his house. He's lost his family. He's sitting there with painful skin boils. It, it said that he was scraping himself with a clay pot. It seems to be like that's the way that you would itch these things. It's so bad. And that is where he sits, and he expresses... Um, his anguish in this poem and in these words um, that are challenging, I think, for us. I mean, I don't think 
anybody could hear what Chris read or if you read it in a different translation, and we'll walk through it, and not hear a challenge within it to say, does life seem that dark at times? Are there moments in which I wish for non-existence over existence? Do I curse that day in which I've come to? Do I um, hold this out? And that is where we find ourselves with Job. Now, it's important. I, when you preach on one of the Gospels or some sort of one of the happy books of the New Testament, you can kind of um, take a text and talk about that text and move on. You don't have to consider the rest of Romans. It would be wise to consider the rest of Romans. Or if you read um, the Fruits of the Spirit from the book of Galatians, it's, it's nice, and you don't really have to go, well, remember, there's, there's this earlier part in Galatians, and then there's this later part, and let's keep it all within context. I mean, again, that would be wise to, but it isn't as necessary as it seems. With this sort of lament, it's very important to remember it exists within a much larger book, um, uh, that has a different story, has a different ending, has a place in which it progresses, and yet not to use that to deny that it exists at this moment in the book. That this is real emotion. This is real anguish and pain and suffering. This is sinking to the lowest point. And finding that vocalized here. Um, I think is a hard truth for us. Um, uh, as we walk through the passage, I think some of that will become clear. Um, one thing I wanted to say is that I've been struggling to find good resources to help me with the book of Job, but one of the ones set it up as, as sort of also a different story of Genesis. Genesis, we have the creation of the world and things are ordered well. This you could see as the first seven verses where things are going well for Job. What happens is, is that world is shattered. Now, that world is shattered in the book of Genesis through Adam and Eve's action. Interesting, also with another figure, not called Satan, but tradition has called that, fig that snake Satan, that's shattered in that way. And the book of Job then has the world shattered in this way, so much so that suffering now reigns. Genesis, after the first fall, ends in um, brothers murdering each other and the blood crying out from the ground. And we know about that type of violence in our world, and that is um, hard for us, but often we chalk that up to human proclivities. Job changes the stakes a little. There was a good world. It is fractured, but it's fractured in a way in which we cannot explain while we might have seen the heavenly courtroom scene, Job has no recourses to understand that or hear that. He's never told, this is what happened, this is why this went this way. Um, he's actually asked questions at the end, not told anything um, in some ways other than the form of a question. But, but um, there's this fracturing there. And so when Job curses the day, and he kind of does so seven times in this passage and laments that he can find no rest, we find sort of the inverse of the days of creation. There is the days at which God has pronounced good, and Job pronounces them not good. And interesting, many of the commentators use this phrase, and God said, let there be light, and Job said, let there be darkness. That's a potential prayer within our lives. It's something that we struggle with, too. We want to, to say in which God has made the day, and at times, there are times we cannot stand it. 
And so I wanted to do, before we get into the text, is show a quick video. I'll go back and put it on, and then I'll say a few words about it. Um, and if, if you're the praying type, pray that it works while I walk back here. Um,
worshiping the idols uh, through pain. And Carla said when she saw it, she said, I don't like that, um, which is the proper human reaction to that. I don't like that. There's two things about that video. Um, or first, um, preaching on a text like this, hearing a text like this, I hope draws you to those moments where you felt that way. Now, some people don't experience that extreme of a reaction. They roll with the punches better than other people. Um, I'm not one of them. Um, but some people, I don't think, um, there's a rawness to what Job is saying that, that they resist. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's a rawness to it that I think they come, um, they're, they're able to stay away from it. Um, which isn't me. And so for me, when I was um, diagnosed with multiple sclerosis uh, 10, 13 years ago, um, it was quite scary and quite like a lot of pain, although I wasn't in so much pain as I had lost um, function in my left hand and leg drug and all that. It was more fear than pain, um, but it did draw, and this video I actually saw at that time, and it meant a lot to me to say, this is a challenge. Now, part of the challenge with MS is there's a whole lot of unknowns, and then also I got it confused with um, something much worse. When it, sometimes I would Google it, muscul muscular dystrophy, yes. So if you Google that and you think that's your prognosis, you're like, wow, um, this is going to be terrible. And MS has its own terribleness to it, but not being able to get your disease right is a problem. Um, <laughs> point being, um, and, but I like what she says, that pain is pain. It's not, you know... You can make up scenarios to make yourself feel grateful that you don't hurt as much, but it is your pain. It is your loss. Um, uh, we don't suffer like Job does, many of us, in the extremity, and I think part of the point of the story is the extremeness. It's not supposed to be, you know, well, you're allowed to talk like this when this happens to you. It's the point to say is that in this extremeness, this is the way in which we can talk. Um, but that video meant a lot to me, and, and I... I began to think, what does it mean to say, um, in my limited way, and what she says of faith, is that um, what is happening to me is for me. And what she says, I think, is important, is that that's a grand statement of faith. What's happening to me is for me. Now, luckily, if for me, they found good drugs, and my life is going fine, and this, that, and the other. And I don't exist in that existential spot anymore, which is very weird, uh, when sometimes when I think about it, about all the dread and fear and unknown of that day gets resolved in time, um, uh, through some help, but through other things. But, but that notion of, of lost sleep, of anguish, of wishing for difference, I mean, Again, not everybody feels that, but I think some people do, and Job expresses that for us. But I think what's missing um, in so often the tales of what does it mean to move through pain and suffering, to have our idol smash and return to faith, is what she ends with, too, is that it breaks some people. Some people never come back. Some people are never whole again. And in the author's wisdom, that's Barbara Brown Taylor, um, I don't think that that's a lack of faith. Um, it's that some things break people. We don't have control over that. I think hearing Job's words, Job's lament, let there be darkness on that day. It would be better for me to have not existed or in the words of um, the psalm, darkness is my only friend. 
um, I think we see people in Scripture whom, um, at this moment for Job, pain has broken um, him. Suffering has broken him. And not, I don't think it's for us to be like his friends and be like, well, you know, let us consider this again. You're, you're acting a little bit extreme. But to sit in that, again, this, like anything else in the Bible, is part of a bigger story, a part of a book that's part of a collection of books that, that makes up meaning in a different way. And yet, um, we gather and witness someone whom uh, pain has broken in, in chapter 3. Um, he's, he's not going to curse God, which is part of the challenge that was there at the beginning of the book, but he is going to curse the day of his birth. He's going to curse his existence as a whole. Now, Part of me <laughs> thinks this is a clever way of getting around cursing God. <laughs> I'm not going to curse God, but I am going to curse the fact that I'm here this day experiencing these things in this way. Um, in the ancient Near East, in the biblical imagination, it perhaps is probably true that if you don't say the curse towards God, you've protected yourself, you've shielded yourself. Um, this is part of the problem in the Sermon on the Mount, interestingly enough, about where, you know, don't swear on the footstool and this, that, and the other. This is an aside, but, like, there's ways of, like, having language without using the language is one of the things that the Pharisees set up. Job might be playing a similar game here in that, like, look, I'm not going to curse God, but I am going to curse all of my existence and the goodness that God has made. Um, I'm going to curse the world as I know it and my suffering. Um, and so I think pain, pain breaks people. Um, and there's a great challenge in that. Um, some of us, um, some, sometimes we witness people who are capable of seeing what is happening to me, even though I don't know why, and even if it might be the cause of harm or broken or fallen world, or um, the will of God. I think David touched on that last week. Um, does, do people, Calvinism is this um, uh, theological school that says everything that happens to us is sort of the will and direction of God. And so there's a joke about the Calvinist who fell down the stairs. When he gets up, he says, I'm glad that's over with. Um, does, that, does that make sense? Like, I, well, I, that is more my personal model of suffering. Um, but I don't feel confident in explaining that that is the only biblical way to understand what happens to us. I think we come up with devotional mechanisms um, that are not right or wrong per se to help us understand what does it mean to exist and be in the world. Um, I tend to lean towards the, I'm glad that's over with, God hath willed that, and now I'm here and I'm on the other side of that. But I think it's, it's hard for us, and I, I think the danger is in giving that advice to other people, you quickly become one of Job's friends. Um, you quickly become a theologian, and that's... Uh, We'll get to it next week, but that's essentially what Job's friends are. They come as theologians, which I guess when you're suffering, the last thing you want is a theologian. Um, uh, you want uh, a friend. You want to, somebody to sit alongside you. They come as ones who question that. We come up with these things, and I, I, I couldn't say that that one is wrong. Um, I don't think I have enough confidence in my mind to devise how creation works. But at the same time, I couldn't say that it's the correct one for me to come alongside people in suffering and say, this is for your benefit. Um, and if, but you can withstand and see through it, it will be for your benefit. Um, I think what she says about faith, we can make it to that, um, but it's not guaranteed, and it's not always, I think, 
the depth of truth in it. Um, and that's, that's, I think, a hard truth for us because Job also does not answer the question on why these things happen. Um, that is not part of the book of Job. Um, there's restoration at the end, which we often forget about, but it is not that we receive an answer for why all these things happen. Um, so anyways, we'll shortly walk through the poem that Job writes. So I've talked about before, the structure of the book of Job is prose at the beginning, uh, regular sentences, periods, and commas, and prose at the end, um, just sort of this. And then most of all the middle is poetry, dense, thick Hebrew poetry. If you listen to the Bible Project thing, I linked in the email about this. Some of these words, many of, Job has more words in it in Hebrew that only appear once in the Bible, and it's in the book of Job. So most of the time when we're translating stuff, we go, okay, it appears here in this context, here in this context, here in this context. What's this word mean? And if we take all the context together, and what are the exceptions and this, that, and the other? Job, it's like one time, <laughs> or, or just in the book of Job, and so it's hard to decide how to translate some of these words. It's a very dense, developed um, book. Like I said, it's, it's this amazing poem that Job writes here, and yet it's a poem to darkness. It's a poem towards destruction, and, and Job's friends speak in poetry. Job responds in poetry. God, when he comes and speaks to Job, it's poetic in form, so we have this way in which the book exists in the poetic form after this, which raises, I think, an interesting question about like how we come at things sometimes. You know, the, Emily Dickinson has this line, which uh, is about to tell the truth, but to tell it slant. Is that right, Kim? Tell the truth, but tell it slant. Um, which I have no idea what she meant by it, but I do think there's a bit in which when we come to suffering or pain, we, we speak, but we speak not directly that poetry might be better than regular prose to probe some of these things. Um, but Job, in the first uh, verses of three, from three to 10, he really talks about closing the day of his birth. He wants um, his day to be perished, the night that said it was a boy to be wiped away, that the day may turn to darkness, may God... Not, may God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night may thickness, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year nor entered into any months. Let there be light. Let there be darkness. May that day not be more. Like I said, we've, some of us allow ourselves to feel this. Um, again, not better than people who don't. I, don't. I don't have an answer for that. But, but we feel at times it'd be better not to be, to have that day wiped out. May, night, may that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard. Barren, obviously, has to do with birth. Um, may barrenness take place on that night. And Job's drawing other people into this. May no joy be heard. May the relationship between those two things be severed. May those who curse days curse that day. These... Um, we don't know if there's evidence of this in the ancient, ancient Near East, but he's essentially saying those who professionally curse days 
may they be hired to curse that day. Now, there probably were professional cursers. We find that with Balaam in the book of Numbers um, is paid to sort of go, go and curse. Um, may those who have the job of cursing curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse the Leviathan. The Leviathan's going to come back up at the end of the book too, but, but here he's saying, rouse that agent of chaos that can crush that day. The Leviathan is sort of a mythic beast at this time. Uh, Baal, B-A-A-L, worshipers. Um, one of the ways in which Baal sort of becomes God is he slays the Leviathan, and that sort of is his way of becoming this. Um, he slays the ancient beast of chaos. Job is praying that the, well, that the professional prayers <laughs> would rouse the ancient mythological beasts of chaos to destroy that day. It's a dark spot that he's in, to say the least. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. He's, he's imagining this relationship between dark and light in which that dark awaits the dawn. And what he's saying is that he doesn't cancel the dark. He says that the dark will have no fulfillment with the dawn. The lights may never come back on. And to hear this, We've talked about this before, but in the ancient Near East, in a world of no light bulbs, electricity, to say that darkness is to reign is to really say that dark is to reign. I mean, we, we live lives enumerated by the devices that we have. Our faces are always glowing um, from the devices that we have. This is not the same thing to say that, that all darkness may never greet the day again. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide my eyes from trouble. Job is unable to find rest to hide from this time. Then he asks a different question. Why did I not perish at birth and die in which the womb, um, why were the knees, uh, why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might nurse? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep at rest with kings and rulers of the earth who built for themselves pallets now lying in room with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver. Job earlier was called one of the greatest men of the east, so he might know some of these people who have passed away and live in these amazing tombs. But for Job, the underworld, Sheol, is this place of sort of, for him, things have gotten so bad that he thinks the underworld in which nothing else happens is the place of rest he is longing for. Non-existence in that place. Or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? Again, light again. Let there be darkness instead of light. There the wicked cease from their turmoil and the weary at rest. Captive, captives also enjoy their eth. They no longer hear the slave drivers shout. They're small and great. The small and great are there. The slaves are freed from their owners. Here Job, first he sees kings and princes go there and they are relaxed and at rest. For those whom life is in turmoil, slaves and slave drivers, those who have masters, when they go there, they too get rest. There is no um, slave driver in Sheol, uh, this underworld place, which is not heaven and not hell in the ancient Near East. It's a place where he thinks he can actually find rest. And you can see that the sort of bastardization of what creation was. Creation ends with that blessed seventh day of rest. 
which is a true rest. God called people and rested on that day. And in the Ten Commandments and elsewhere in Scripture, um, there is that eternal rest. And even as we look towards the book of Revelation, um, we are invited into that rest with God in fullness. Job's moment is titled by a rest that is not that rest. But he would feel it as balm to be released into that spot. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? A beautiful phrase, again, the poetry to darkness, to be bitter of soul. Um, to those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure. Um, it is hard to say this, but there are people whom, whom death cannot come soon enough through their suffering. Why does God, um, why is light given to those whom long for death, of bitter soul, for those whom death has not come in, who search for it more than hidden treasure? Now this is the way in which we are supposed to search for wisdom in the book of Proverbs. We search for death more than they search for hidden treasure. Who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose ways is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Job started, or the, the Hasatan says that you've set a hedge around Job, and that's why nothing bad happens to him. Darkness does not touch Job. Job here in the inverse says that I am hedged from light. I'm hedged from good things now. Why does Job love God? Because good things happen to him when he does or not is the question that I think is coming up here. For sign has become my daily food. Um, poetry is, is awesome when you think about it. Um, what I eat daily is my size, is what he is saying. The psalmist will say it in a different way. My tears are my bread. Um, but, but this way in which I am sustained by my size. Um, it's a shame it's to such darkness, this, this language that is uh, quite powerful and good. Um, what I have feared has come upon me. What I has dread has happened to me. And then the final words, I have no peace. I have no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Job um, imagines Sheol as release from that no rest, that no quietness, no turmoil. He imagines death as that place. Um, this brings Job's friends to speaking next, which we'll get to next week. I do think what's interesting there is while they are rebuked for speaking wrongly, to hear what Job prays is probably an invitation to speak into somebody's life. I don't think a good friend would sit there and go, well, I think you're right. Um, considering the evidence, yes, um, death would be better than this. Um, so I've, I've, I have some sympathy for their speaking after this because I think you wouldn't leave a friend in that spot. Um, you risk speaking ill, but to not risk at all is perhaps a worse sin. Um, but to close for today... Um, The, the challenge 
of Job, I think, sometimes is where to find the good news in the book of Job. Um, where do you find the gospel in that tears have become my substance? That sighing is the thing that I consume to keep me alive. For I have no peace, I have no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. In this passage today, um, well, first, I, there's that temptation to become one of Job's friends and to say, see, this is, we'll make it fine, to not hear what he says. So I hope I don't do that. Um, but when we confess in, in the words of the creed um, that Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, um, was crucified, died, and was buried, and he descended to the dead, um, which, is, which is close in, in Greek to that phrase, sheol, that we worship and pray to one who descends to that point. He, like Job, as we'll find in the book, is, is innocent, doesn't deserve the suffering that has come to him, and yet takes that on willingly, the book of Philippians, um, that he was obedient, obedient even to death on a cross, that he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, that when we feel that way, we know there is one whom feels that way with us. It is Christ who cries on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, Shabakma, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those famous words from Psalm 22. There is one whom knows darkness as well. There is one whom knows that they have no peace, no quietness, no rest, but only turmoil as he descends to the dead for us. I think that's the good news in today's passage, is we have no guarantee that we will not feel this. We have no guarantee that the life of faith will protect us from the bottoms of these type of pits. But we do have one whom is there with us in them. And is that one whom we worship and call to as Lord and pray to ourselves, who comes in the final analysis and rescues us and sets us in that eternal rest in which we await. Now let us pray. God, we come to you as people who have suffered in many ways as well. Some of us may have cursed the day of our birth, who felt like our food was our size. We exist in a creation that in the work of Romans calls frustrating. And yet we know through the pattern of your son and through the pattern of your history with Israel and the church, that while these days may come, they often come for us, although not all the time, if we can accept them and breathe into them as such. But they come also with the promise that your son has gone to those darkest spots as well. There is no place lower than we can go than where he has gone. And may we, when we find ourselves in that moment, reach out and feel his hand there. 
that may or may not bring resolve instantly to our problems, that may or not lift us up in the moment. But we have comfort in you there. May that allow us to breathe into life again. Be with us now. Pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.